sharing our faith and passion for the Lord Jesus Christ with others is a desire of Zion Christian Fellowship. Our prayer is that this message will have a lasting impact on your life and draw you closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. This message is not copyrighted. You are free to make copies for friends and neighbors. We only ask that you copy it in its entirety without alterations or changes. Now unto the King Eternal, Immortal, Invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Greetings to everyone. In Jesus' name. It's good to be in the house of God, to be exhorted, encouraged, strengthened, and filled. I'd invite you to turn with me to the book of Philippians, chapter 1. And I'd like to read several verses here at the beginning, kind of an introduction and a bit of our text here this morning. Philippians chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. Now this is a very amazing uh, few verses. Well, maybe not so amazing because Paul tends to do that. In a number of his epistles, he packs a lot of things in a few short verses. And this is one of those. He has a prayer for the Philippians. This I pray... He's uh, asking God that it might be this way, that their love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Knowledge that we might be filled with the knowledge of His will, of God's will. Wouldn't you like to know God's will? I would. It ought to be our burning desire to know the will of God and to be able, therefore, to do it. And in all judgment or discernment, if that's a thought here, this word judgment has the idea of discernment, being able to discern things, to really see what they are in truth. That you may approve things that are excellent. Well, we all would like to do that, wouldn't we? Approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere, that's no hypocrisy, genuine, and without offense. And that has the idea of without error or without sin. Without offending against God. Without going into sin till the day of Christ. So that's as long as we live. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. Now the phrase that I'd like to just focus on a bit this morning is that 
first one in verse 11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness. And you could ask yourself, as I have, ask myself, what does that look like? What would that look like in my life if I was filled with the fruits of righteousness? Well, so we would ask the question then, what does it mean when it says fruits of righteousness? What are fruits of righteousness? Well, we think of that uh, list that was in Galatians, Paul gave, where he says that the fruit of the Spirit, which is working righteousness in us, that fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, and so on. So any one of those, pick any one of those, those are some of the fruit of righteousness, and all of those should be in evidence in my life. Especially being filled with the fruits of righteousness. You know, if somebody's just filled and overflowing, uh, we, we kind of sense that, don't we? Someone is filled with joy, we tend to uh, notice. If someone is very peaceful, we, we tend to notice. And so, if you were to think of someone who was filled with the fruits of righteousness, you search your mind and think of some saint that you know of, that just seems to always be full of fruits of righteousness. Well, maybe you could think of a few souls, but what about you being that soul? Or me? What hinders me from being filled with the fruits of righteousness? Then it says, which are by Jesus Christ. So what does it mean to be filled with the fruits of righteousness? I'd like to consider a few this morning from the book of Philippians. And there are many here, but we'll focus on a few. And see if we could find something for our life this morning. The next portion I'd like to look at is over in chapter 2, verse 12 and following. In verse 12 of chapter 2, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Now notice in verse 15 he says, Among whom ye shine as lights in the world. And we heard about light this morning. A light that shineth in a dark place. And how would it be if people who wanted to know what it means to have a person filled with the fruit of righteousness could just look at you or me and say, that's what it looks like. That is a person filled with the fruits of righteousness. 
Well, I believe that's God's will for us. It's not just for a few special people that have exercised themselves and maybe attained to some level of perfection that is beyond uh, the reach of most of us. No, that's, that's not what God had in mind at all. He wants us to be filled with the fruits of righteousness. But back in verse 12, he says, As ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now what does that phrase, work out your own salvation? What does that mean? Can we save ourselves? A rhetorical question is, and the answer is, well, no. We can't save ourselves. We need a Savior. So why does he say, work out your own salvation? With fear and trembling in the concept there, fear and trembling is with some serious earnestness. Not to be slacked or or to be... uh, pushed aside as of not importance, but something with some real earnestness. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Well, in the New Testament, salvation is a very commonly used term, and it has to do with being delivered from the wrath to come. In the next life, there is reward for righteousness and punishment for wickedness. We're very familiar with that. And we need to be saved from the wrath to come. And we need a Savior, which is Christ Jesus the Lord. There is born unto you this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. So, we need a Savior in order to be saved. Why then does he say, work out your own salvation? Well, salvation has a second aspect, and that is that we are to be saved from our sins. So, we could say it this way, that we need to be saved, not just from the wrath to come, but we need to be saved from ourselves. Yes, ourselves. That's what we need a Savior for, to save us from ourselves. Now, You may think that your difficulties in life are somebody else's fault. If things were better for me, then I could do better. If my circumstances were agreeable, then things would be so much better. If I had more stuff, then I could be happy. Did you hear that before this morning? No, no, and no. That's not how it works. This past week I had trouble. I had backache. And I get that occasionally, and on Wednesday it was paining me considerably. I went to the chiropractor, and he was able to give me a little bit of relief, but it usually takes a few days for that to kind of settle in. And so I was hobbling along. I had some work that I had to get done, I thought, and so I stopped at a place of business, and I was easing myself out of my vehicle, and then I thought, you know, the owner here of this place of business never has back pain, as far as I know. But he can't walk. That's why he has no back pain. He has no feeling down there. And so he can't walk, and suddenly, in perspective... My ache and pain just, okay, this too shall pass. I can thank God that I have a back that pains me. (laughs) If it didn't pain me, I'd really be in trouble, or at least worse trouble. So, can you thank God for back pain? Well, it's a bit a matter of perspective, isn't it? So... Our choices of how we respond in life are not so much the circumstances as what is within. And that's the uh, 
heart of my message here this morning is, there's a word for that, it's called disposition. I don't know that it's found in the Bible per se, as I would uh, be using it here this morning. But as I looked up this term of being filled with righteousness, what is righteousness? It's right standing, it's doing what is right. Um, And it said, by action or disposition. Well, action is a specific thing we may do on a specific occasion. But disposition is kind of how we are. And a disposition is a general or settled manner of responding to certain things. Now, we might call it attitude. We might call it by a few other terms, but what is your disposition? Now, some people tend to think of this as personality. Well, uh, this person uh, tends to do this or that and because it's their personality. And sometimes bad behavior is excused by just saying, well, that's my personality. Well, it is true that God made us a little bit different, each one of us, but we're also pretty much alike in many ways. And, and so personality is, is kind of who we are, you know, and, and sometimes we get this thought, well, don't disturb me, you can't change me, I, this is who I am. But in God's view, he wants to change your personality into his likeness. That's what it means to be conformed to the image of Christ. Not just what you were born with or what you used to do, but it being changed into the likeness of Christ. And so our disposition is that character that is and should be shaped into the image of Christ. And when I allow that work to be done in my life, then I am working out my own salvation. Work out your own salvation. And remember that one half of salvation is to be saved from myself. That is sin. He died to save us from our sins. And those sins are the transgressions and the wrongs that we would normally do against God or against others. And God wants to save us from ourselves and our wrong way of relating, our wrong responses. He wants them transformed into the likeness of Christ. So what is our disposition? Now we understand well, I believe, that our salvation comes from Christ. As it says here in, in the first text we read, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ. So it begins with a transformed life. We have passed from darkness to light. We have gone from being a child of the wicked one to being a child of God. And when we become a child of God, we then take on the nature of our Father and of His Son, Jesus Christ. We also read in verse 15 of chapter 2 that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God. That means a transformed character. But now I allow that work of God in my own life and I work out my own salvation. Not that I'm saving myself from the wrath to come. I am working to be saved from myself and therefore can become a useful tool for God. Now we're going to look at several things in the book of Philippians that help us. 
And Paul was very clear and, and specific in naming things that are necessary for us to have that disposition, that tendency to respond in a certain way. Let's look in chapter 2 and verse 4. Well, perhaps we need verse 3 for context there. Verse 3, chapter 2, verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Now verse 4, we could sum it up in one word. Unselfish. Okay, let's read this again. It says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. That simply means not always just thinking about myself, but considering other people. And in context, there is much more description here on how that's all done. It's takes lowliness, esteeming others better than yourself, and not just considering yourself, but considering others, being unselfish. And then he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So ask yourself, as you're reading down through here, was Jesus Christ unselfish? And the answer is, yes, he was. And he goes on to describe how unselfish Christ was. He made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of his servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross." Now we know is from uh, Hebrews chapter uh, 12, I believe it is, where it talks about the joy, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And what was that joy? The joy that he would reconcile all things unto himself. He endured that pain and the difficulty for our sakes, he, for our sakes, became poor that we might be made rich. He was unselfish to the very end. And John says it so simply. He says, if Christ laid down his life for us, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So back to the questions that we ask ourselves Am I unselfish? Just, just make it real simple. Is my general disposition, my normal way of responding to things, is it unselfish? Well, that may be a little reality check there. Is my disposition unselfish? Okay, let's look at several others here. Let's look at chapter 2, verse 14. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. All things without murmurings and disputings. So, what is your disposition when things get difficult? When you have more work than you feel is your share? When you have been misunderstood or mistreated or 
or put in anything there. You've been stressed. Do you handle that? Is your normal disposition to do it without murmuring and disputings? Well, that's a test. And we can look at many passages in Scripture. For example, the noted one is the children of Israel who were in the wilderness. They were delivered from Egypt and on their way to the promised land and everything should have been looking good, right? But no, they had difficulties on the way. They ran out of water or the water they had was bitter and they began to murmur and to complain. And so for 40 years, you almost get the sense that they were the chief complainers. Complaining, complaining, complaining. So what is your normal disposition? You know there are some people that you just, you get the sense they're just complainers. (laughs) Nothing goes right. Nothing goes well. And it, it doesn't a hardly matter or the day goes by that some grief hasn't come their way and it's just a sad story and this is my lot in life and this is how things go for me and and I I need some work on that myself you know it's pretty easy to feel like this isn't fair why does it always go backwards Why can't I ever find what I need when I need it? Why did it quit working right now? It's worked fine for 10 years and now it gave out. Or why does my sister always do it this way? You know those aggravating things. Can we have a cheerful disposition and respond well? We're talking not just one action. See, though, yes, those are important to God, but beyond just one specific action, God is looking for a disposition that has been conditioned to respond well. So we've looked at two things, being unselfish and doing all things without murmurings and disputings. Now, the next point is that we are to rejoice. That's actually kind of the flip side or reverse of not complaining, but it says rejoice. Verse Or chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. And then over in chapter 4, verse 4, in case we hadn't got it the first time, he says it again, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Oh, but you might say, as I have already, or thought at least, but I don't feel like rejoicing. I don't feel like it. Well, did it put that qualifier in here? Rejoice when you feel like it? No, that's not there. So it says rejoice in the Lord. And many times that just requires us to change our perspective, our attitude, and and put it like I was telling you about my back pain. It, It was really irritating until I stopped to think about those who suffer even worse. And there's almost anything that we might suffer on a day's work or whatever, that we can't think of someone who has it 
far worse than we do. And we could just put it in perspective and say, okay, Lord, I can, I can make it. I can do it by your grace. Paul said it in verse 13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. So rejoice in the Lord. So when you think of rejoicing in the Lord, how how do you do that in a practical way? Well, there's several things that might come to mind. One would be to not be anxious or to cast your care upon the Lord. We'll look at that a little later, but the uh, we can thank God for our salvation, that he has promised deliverance in the world to come, but he also promised that we could be delivered from our own sins, our own wrong responses, and our basically save us from ourselves. And we can thank God for the blessings that he has poured out upon us. He gave us life, he gave us breath, he gave us health, and yes, our health might even be failing, but we can rejoice for what we still have. We can thank the Lord, and we can carry a disposition where we have not become bitter, we have not become resentful, we can still thank God even for the good things that we enjoy. Another way of rejoicing in the Lord is to sing. Sing psalms and praises. We did that this morning in the opening hymns. And Brother Jonathan even emphasized in the one hymn about opening our mouth, praising the Lord, doing so with, you know, with, with uh, earnestness, with, with uh, sincerity, praising the Lord. And many times the uh, it takes a bit to get into a frame of mind. That, that term frame of mind, how we're, it, it kind of relates to our disposition. And we may not start out in a frame of mind to just burst into song. Okay, but if we're in a distressful situation, we can turn our mind to begin to thank the Lord. And as that thanksgiving comes out of our heart in genuineness, then soon a song can follow. And we can begin to sing a song of praise and work on our disposition. Okay. Number four. One of the fruits of righteousness is peace. Chapter 4, verse 7. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The peace of God. Now in the world we shall have tribulation, but Jesus said, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And so, God has promised peace. He is a God of peace. He is so named several times in the scriptures as the God of peace. 
Here it says, the peace of God. Verse 9, he says, the God of peace shall be with you. You know souls that are troubled. I'm sure you know them. There is a problem if the peace of God is not ruling. They're distressed. They are They are troubled by little things. And if that's you, then you need to work on something. And that something is getting your heart right with God. To be at peace. I had an experience this past week. This is a little bit uh, graphic in this thing of not having peace. But as I had, was driving down the road, I'd just left home, was still on the gravel road. And a vehicle in front of me stopped just a little distance ahead of me, kind of turned crosswise in the road and, and just stopped. And as I approached, they didn't move immediately. And I thought, my, somebody must, maybe somebody's in trouble or something. And so as I approached, uh, the vehicle turned and there was a lady driving and, and then she waved me down, flagged her hand out the window and so I stopped, pulled up alongside and I thought, well, maybe I can help her with something. But I was rather shocked when she looked at me very angrily and she said, the Amish are not pleased with the dust you're raising. Slow down. And then she proceeded to curse me and give me a piece of her mind and, and then she left. And what would you say? Well, I said nothing because I was so startled I, nothing came to mind. And in, where, where did that come from? Well, finally, as I thought about a lot of things that I could have said, I finally thought, well, what would be, you know, one, one could argue a lot of things, you know, just reasonable things, but... I realized that somewhere this lady had a problem. She was so angry, so out of sorts about dust. I mean, yeah. But it's a sign of somebody that's not at peace. Little things just set you off like a like a bomb. I, you know, I have no idea what was going on in that lady's life. Um, she didn't wait around for any response. But how are we? You know, it did make me think, so this is so over the top, out of order, what, you know, But is it possible that I might have responses like that sometimes? You know, it's not really this issue that's upset. But I'm just upset about life in general or I'm distressed about this or that and some little thing just sets me off and, and I let them have it because whatever. Well, that is not letting the peace of God rule in your heart. And it comes back to this disposition. What is our normal, typical response? That's what disposition means. Our, our normal, kind of our normal response when faced with certain circumstances. So God wants to work 
in filling us with the fruits of righteousness. And that means much more than just one response in a certain time and place. Yes, it is that, but a collection of those are our disposition. How we normally respond. What is going on in my life? Is my life being continually formed into the character of Christ? Am I sweet? Is that my disposition? Is sweetness, and sweetness can be a general term that applies in any facet of life, but is that my disposition? Am I looked upon as someone who is sweet? Well, here in Philippians 4, verse 5, right after talking about rejoicing in the Lord, it says, Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. And that may seem a little obscure what it actually means, moderation. Let your moderation be known unto all men. Well, moderation um, means not extravagant or out of bounds in any area. It means kept in control. And one way of thinking of it is that moderation or sweet reasonableness. Something that's applicable to the situation. Not, you know, not out of hand or unhandy or just sweetly reasonable. You expect when you get to a certain person, when you interact with them, you expect a sweet reasonableness. Makes me think of a certain customer contact we had. It was actually a referral from another individual who had worked with this person and And so in informing us about the job and the circumstances, they mentioned that, well, you might want to be aware that this individual that you're going to be working with, well, they can be a little bit prickly. Oh. (laughs) Well, that's a nice, sweet way of saying something. (laughs) A little bit prickly. But it's a disposition. Now, it probably wasn't quite as bad as that made it sound in our experience then, but but how do people look at you? What is the testimony that is going out from your life? And you may say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm sweet to... Most people, all except my family, or, or maybe my neighbor who's difficult, or my co-worker, or whatever it might be. You know, we, we kind of like to think that we're doing well in most areas, but in one area, we know that we're just being prickly. It just isn't going well. Let your moderation, your sweet reasonableness, be known unto all men. And then lastly, let's look at what we fill our mind with. In verse 8 of chapter 4, he says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, Whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. So he admonishes here that the thoughts that we allow to go through our mind, ought to be of this sort, true, honest, just, 
pure, lovely, and so on. Now there's no doubt that evil thoughts will come to your mind. Over the course of the day, in our interactions, and in our living in this world, thoughts that are not pure, thoughts that are not lovely, and thoughts that are not true do come to our mind. So what is he saying here? Does he say that those will never come? Well, he says that we should think on these things. You know, there's one thing about a thought coming to our mind, and it's there momentarily, and then we reject it. And we send it on its way. We replace it with something that's true and good and pure and lovely. That is the battle that we need to be engaged in. I believe it's part of working out our own salvation, saving us from ourselves, allowing Christ to work in saving us from ourselves. And we can allow evil thoughts, we can allow thoughts of bitterness, resentment. They always do that. And, and that can just go round and round in our mind. And those things are not lovely. Those things are not pure. Those things are not of good report. And we just have to put them away. Not think on them. And many times, seek God's help to purge your mind from those things. And you know how our mind wants to go over and over and over. Just allow God to work in our mind to conform it to the image of Christ. If someone has done something against you that you don't like, how do you handle that? You can stew over and over in your mind, that wasn't right, that wasn't right. They were mean, they didn't think about me, that wasn't even true, that, and, you know, and you can go round and round and round. But does that really produce godly fruit in your life? And the answer is no. You know, there may come a time when we need to think. We, we, we're thinking, okay, that wasn't right. Well, maybe it wasn't. Okay? Maybe it wasn't right. But does that allow me to become resentful or bitter or angry or... Well, no, it doesn't. If my life is conformed to the image of Christ and I am seeking to be delivered from myself, then I need to start thinking differently, thoughts that are good and right and just. So if it wasn't right, what would a right response be? And start thinking about that. And then also considering myself lest I also be tempted. That begins to temper my feelings about how wrong it was. And I think, well, you know, I've, I've made mistakes too. I've, I've, done, I've done like things. And I ought to have forbearance toward my brother. And then love enters in too. You know, do I really love them? And if so, what can I do to express my love to them? And so I begin to change the way I think. I, I don't allow myself to just go round and round and round about the evil, the wrong, 
and begin to think about things that are true and pure and right. Things that are of good report. And that can transform our disposition. That's what we're working on. Our disposition. What is our normal response when, when I'm faced with difficulties? Well, I hope through this message this morning that we're able to see in a little more practical way what it means to be filled with the fruits of righteousness. God is looking for right responses on a regular basis, not just a one-time event, but he wants our disposition to be such that it conforms to his image. And then as he says in in chapter 2, verse 15, they may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, or that could also be thought of as a generation. This generation that we're in is crooked and perverse. They're not going the right way. And we ought to be shining as lights. A beacon to point people in the right direction. That when they look at our life, they can say, Oh, that's what it means to be filled with the fruits of righteousness. May God help us to that end.